It's time for Breaking Bread with Papa. Hey! Don't you know? Hey! No. It's our goal. Hey! No. It's time for Breaking Bread with Papa. Hey! Don't you know? Hey! No. It's also a show. Hey! Everybody, welcome to another edition of Breaking Bread with Tom Papa. I am Tom Papa. Thank you for joining us at the table once again. We have a great show for you today. This is a good one because we all listen to this podcast. We all love food and comedy and we all make our way into the kitchen and we start making stuff and then we run into questions and you're like, wait a minute, what am I supposed to do with this pasta water? How am I supposed to salt this thing? What kind of vegetable? Yeah, I didn't have a fresh vegetable. Can I use a frozen one? And you end up with all these questions. And today, our guests have put together a book, Daniel Holtzman and Matt Rodbard. And Matt, I apologize if I'm not saying that. Usually, when I've got to say names just fast. fast. Matt Rodbard. And they came up with a book called Food IQ, 100 Questions, Answers, and Recipes to Raise Your Cooking Smarts. It's a really fun book, and it's really informative. And we get into it in the conversation, and... Uh, you will definitely enjoy it. It's going to be a good one today. Today's show is sponsored by the good people at Sunday Lawn Care. It's hard to imagine, but spring is almost here. We're so close to feeling that soft grass under our feet. But first, we need to get our lawn back. Thankfully, Sunday Lawn Care gets your lawn growing and helps to keep it healthy all season long. Sunday is offering our listeners 20% off. Full season plans starting at $129. Get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com slash Bread20. That's Bread20. Sunday.com slash Bread20. A great company. They help you get your lawn in shape without a whole bunch of nasty chemicals that will make you worry about your children. We'd also like to help... We'd also like to thank the good people at BetterHelp. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. They offer video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. See why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Papa. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. BetterHelp.com slash Papa. And help you sort through your your issues and your problems and just give you somebody to talk to. A good company, BetterHelp Online Therapy. Also, oh, look at this, look at this. We also have a sponsor, TomPapa.com. Oh, that's amazing. What is he doing? Well, it looks like there's a big family reunion tour that's touring around the country. And there's lots of dates uh, coming up. We've got Barrington... Massachusetts, we've got Reading, Pennsylvania, we've got Livermore, California, limited tickets in all of this, but get out there, get to the website, check out the tour dates. A big one, which I think we all should go to, is the one in Las Vegas at the Win. That one's going to be a lot of fun at the Encore Theater. Ooh, baby. That is May 6th in Las Vegas, again at the Encore Theater. Another big one, the Netflix is a joke festival, comedy festival. The first time that they've put together a comedy festival, Netflix is a joke. They're just taking over Los Angeles. And I have a show at the Regent Theater 
on April 29th. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So thanks to TomPapa.com for being a sponsor of today's program as well. Oh, this world's filled with surprises. Hope you're doing well. Hope everything's going okay. We're rolling here into March. I understand that parts of the country are still frozen solid. And I understand that parts of the West feel like springtime already. And I understand this because I've traveled to all parts of it. And I went to Fargo, North Dakota. I had a great show, but not before I was walking to the theater and slipped in the ice and fell. And I think, I don't say I think I broke a rib, but I will say that I bruised it. Can't see it from the outside, but it's uncomfortable to sleep. And I don't know how you do it, North Dakota. I don't know how you do it. Stayed at a great hotel, made me feel all cozy and warm. That I understood. Great restaurant in the Jasper Hotel serving really creative stuff that I got. I had a nice risotto. It was beautiful. Um, good people all making their way in there and and very hip, very cool. Everybody gathering around, enjoying themselves, having some laughs and having some food. And then you go outside and it feels like minus 31 degrees. And you're walking to your little comedy show over snowbanks and frozen sidewalks. It's not like they could ever get ahead of it. It's never a point where the ice will go away. Not until the earth gets closer to the sun <laughs> and, and nature does its work. You can't shovel it, ice it, and be like, okay, there won't be ice. There's always ice. So then you take a dingbat who has been living in L.A. for quite some time and not used to shuffling around in the ice... I know all my East Coast friends are like, what has happened to you? I know. I am fully aware. But just casually walking along. And when I say it wasn't even like I'm slipping and about to fall, there wasn't a, oh, whoa, whoa, I'm, I might be going down. There wasn't any of that. It just went from walking happily, thinking about the show and what I'm going to, what jokes I'm going to do, and I'm on my back. It was that fast. There was no, I don't remember, I don't remember leaving my feet. I don't remember halfway down. I just remember walking and on the ground next to a brick building uh, with my rib hurting. I, my wrist went out and didn't go out. My, I went out to break my fall. Thankfully, that didn't, that, that didn't snap into, which everything else I felt like should snap into because it was so dang cold. But we're all fine. But all, I only tell this little tale to say, I understand what you're going through in those cold climates. And then I went over to Milwaukee and I ate at Mater's, which is a rite of passage when you're in Milwaukee. You've got to go to this German restaurant. And every single act, whoever went through there and performed since before John F. Kennedy has been in there. Everyone from Sinatra to the Foo Fighters and in between. And everybody rolls into this German restaurant and I had a Bavarian platter of bratwurst and knockwurst and sauerkraut and two types of dark brown mustards, this great potato thing on the side. I have to admit, I've been craving German food in a big way. And maybe it's because I've been in cold places. I had uh, just this craving for some of that sauerbraten, that sauerkraut, the beer the atmosphere i was i've been craving it all all winter 
And when you roll into Milwaukee, I was doing a, an interview and the reporter reminded me, don't blow it this time, go to Mater's. And I had time at lunch, got in early, and I satisfied that craving, kind of. Don't you find it's difficult when you go into a restaurant and you've been, you don't really know the ins and outs completely, so you just roll in, like say it's your first time in Koreatown, and you're like, everybody loves Korean food, everybody's serving it up, everybody has a great time, and uh, everybody's talking about how adventurous the menus are. And then you get there and you're like, yes, I did it. I parked. I'm in a Korean restaurant and I don't know what to do. What's the rookie move? What's the, what's the pro move? Do I get a couple of different things? How do I pronounce it? <laughs> All the rest of it. All of a sudden, you're, you really should ask the, the help of the people that are there. And if they're good people, they will help you. Uh, the German lady who looked beautiful in the whole Oktoberfest getup <laughs> was very sweet, but she was just kind of like, why are you asking me this? You should know these things. So I didn't know, do I go wiener schnitzel? Do I go uh, sauerbraten? Do I go with the pork dish? I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I, in my mind, I was thinking bratwurst, all, <laughs> all slathered up with sauerkraut and mustard and and that's what I did, and it did satisfy the craving. The only curveball, you're in a big German restaurant with big beer steins. I don't normally drink the day of a show just because it's all about energy, keeping your energy up after getting to Fargo, falling on the ice, getting a 6 a.m. flight to the next place, and being in Milwaukee and getting ready to do that show. But the atmosphere and the food and Mater's won, and I got a big stein of beer had that with the bratwurst, satisfied the craving for sure. It was a great experience. And then just walked back and had, I think, maybe a three-hour nap, <laughs> which never happens, maybe 20 minutes if I'm meditating. But to go down for a full three solid hours, I have to say, it was pretty good. So thank you to Mater's, and thank you to the Jasper Hotel for keeping me fed along the way. All right, we have a great interview for you today. Like I said, we've got Daniel Holtzman and Matt Rodbard. Uh, Matt is a food writer, New York Times bestselling author. He actually wrote Koreatown, a cookbook, and a really good writer, writes, been writing forever about food. And he hooks up with Daniel Holtzman, who is a really great chef. And Daniel, for the people on the East Coast, you will know Daniel because he created the meatball shop in New York. He opened one in the West Village where I used to live. And that caught on all around the city, the meatball shop. You just go in and get your favorite meatball in these small, modest places. And it just caught the city. Uh, it caught on fire in the city. And now he's in L.A. where he did this interview with us. Um, he is running Danny Boy's famous original in L.A. and has promised me some pizza if I roll by. I've never, uh, I've never had his pizza, but just knowing what he did with the meatball shop and his knowledge of food and joy and all good things, I can only imagine that Danny Boy's famous is going to be uh, a force here in Los Angeles. So you get Daniel together with his uh, crazy inventiveness. Um, 
crazy inventiveness, and I say that in an entrepreneurial way. He'll he says in the interview that he is a pretty much a, a classic. He likes to perfect the classics, which the meatball definitely shows. And then you go over to pizza, and then Matt, who has tasted everything from around the world, and a really great writer, and is able to put it all down and knows the ins and outs, and also does it himself. So then you have these two forces that hook up, and they decided, well, let's tackle the thing that home cooks are always wrestling with. And that's all of those little answers, the little questions, questions, answers, and recipes to raise your cooking smarts. That is the name of the book. And it really is great. We get into everything. We start talking about frozen foods. We talk about what kind of salt you're supposed to use, whether or not you can have frozen fish, all of these different things. And some of the answers are very surprising. So when you're in there in the kitchen and you have like those little things like, what am I supposed to do with this? If I, if I have a pantry filled with stuff, can I make some food out of this? What the hell am I doing? And what are the answers? And you're sometimes too even embarrassed to ask because they seem so basic. Well, Matt and Daniel answer all the questions. They pose them and it, it kind of gives you a safe space to ask what, some what you may think are the obvious, but we all need the answers to. It's a great book. I guarantee. I, after the conversation, just go to wherever books are sold and pick it up. You're going to enjoy it. Food IQ, 100 questions, answers, and recipes to raise your cooking smarts. And now, enjoy my conversation with Daniel Holtzman and Matt Rodbard. Uh, congratulations about the book. This is a very cool thing. I'm uh, I'm excited to get into it and talk all about it. I also want to know a little bit of uh, of your your uh, your backgrounds. One um, starting off as a, starting off as in the chef world, starting off in the writers world, joining forces, world domination. Uh, <laughs> uh, Daniel, why don't we start with you? When uh, when did you start your uh, when did you start your career? You were a kid, right? My culinary career, I started 13 years old. I started delivering pizza for uh, Gino's Pizza on 83rd Street. And um, nice. yeah, that was that was it. It was uh, it was a downhill downhill from there, as my mom would say. <laughs> <laughs> what was your family background? Uh, Jews from the Upper East Side, um, New York for, gen, you know, since the 1700s generation on generation wow my mom was a was a was a painter a really amazing creative woman and, oh. and my pop was a carpenter like jesus oh very <laughs> cool <laughs> and was food a big part of your your growing up so my mother was one was a was a was a was a you know real hippie from new york and she mashed organic baby food for us and made sure that my brother and i ate you know and my dad was a you know junk food and watching tv kind of guy so they <laughs> they they got a they got a divorce early on um <laughs> so so we spent our uh, we spent our weekends eating eating doritos and and our weekdays eating organic organic vegetables and it worked out <laughs> yeah that's good that's good balance it's the only way you can really do it when you're a kid i can't believe like we actually i have two daughters and we have an unopened bag of doritos in the house and i was like if this if there were boys in this house there's no way that happens <laughs> there's no way a bag goes no way untouched. a half bag of doritos it's around, no chance <laughs> yeah exactly and uh and matt when when uh you know, you're a writer. 
Um, but was food a big part of your background when you start? When uh, was it always kind of something that was in your in your sights? Oh, most definitely. I am of the Ashkenazi Jew of the Midwest region of the Amer- Americas, and so we certainly had um, uh, lots of food traditions growing up. And um, I think my dad's from North Side of Chicago, so pizza was was ingrained into my brain um, <laughs> at an early age that. Um, that deep dish casserole style pizza that you'll find in Chicago is the best pizza. I, I lived in New York. I've lived there for 20 years. And so I've certainly um, seen the light and my father was incorrect on that assumption. <laughs> yeah. I just did. Uh, I just did. Wait, wait, don't tell me in Chicago um, last like two weeks ago. And I was surprised at all the Chicago people that were shitting on deep dish pizza. It's um, uh, I love deep dish pizza and it's such a people get angry at me and I'm like, it's just <laughs> delicious. It's delicious. Like what's there not? To, the only downside is that, you know, it's like if, as Anthony Bourdain said about Nashville hot chicken, it's a three day commitment. You know, I eat a, I eat a deep dish and it's like, tum, I'm, I'm, I'm basically feasting on Tums for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, uh, what's your opinion? What's your opinion on the deep dish? Matt. Um, I'm I'm honestly I'll I'll have a Pequod's pizza in Chicago sometimes, but I, I gotta say it's the New York City slice that I'm I'm more inclined towards. Right. Um so I, I just don't think that the cheese should be on the bottom. I'm just not into that personally. <laughs> right. I'm more of a top guy. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So how did you guys meet? How did you guys join forces? Matt, um, Matt came in, I was opening a restaurant in New York City, and Matt was a journalist, and um, he was covering the opening, and he came in and started asking me questions, and more questions, and, you know, 15 years later, he's still asking questions, and we, we, um, we've been, uh, you know, early on, we realized we both had a real passion for, for Korean food, and we started traveling out to the boroughs um, out of Manhattan to, you know, find the best restaurants, and spending some late nights together. So our relationship really was born of a work relationship and then, and then morphed into a friendship. Right. That's very cool. And what was the inspiration for this book? Because the book is, uh, the book is a, very cool, a very cool thing. I, someone who loves to cook and loves to explore and do stuff, it's, it's a great book because Food IQ is, it's kind of unknowable. It's kind of like looking at a giant wine list and you're like, I know wines. And then all of a sudden you're like, "Mm, I don't know anything in this list. (laughs) Your your book kind of has that thing where you're like, yeah, I know how to cook. Oh, shit. I didn't realize this part about frozen foods. (laughs) It's so true. And and Tom, honestly, we we, it came out of um, this idea that we um, had these questions and we wanted to give confidence to people who needed the confidence because a lot of times looking at a recipe is like looking at that wine list. You're like, what is brown butter? Like what, what brown the butter? Like, so that was like one of our questions, for example. Right. And we, we just wanted to give readers confidence to cook, but also do it in a way that we, we're having like a really good time, you know, right. bullshitting with each other during the whole process. So, right. Right. There is a, uh, you say in the book, um, it's a combination of uh, smarts and intuition. What balance for you, uh, for both of you, do you think is 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 needed? Because I I feel like I feel like I'm always concentrating, like furrowed brow, trying to figure out what the meanings of things are, and 
in a cooking in the cooking world and trying to like figure out okay what's this recipe what's this thing and that then I don't give it up enough to intuition even though I kind of have a base of knowledge I get a little more frightened but it seems like the greats almost rely more on intuition I feel like that's a big piece of the puzzle for us when we were talking about writing this cookbook you know most most recipes in most cookbooks really focus on what to cook. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we thought, well, you know, as a chef, the, it's a deeper understanding that gives you the entrepreneurial authority to make choices as you go along, kind of like choices on the fly. So mm -hmm. I feel less that folks are, are, you know, when you see somebody that's making on the go decisions and changing recipes and just kind of working by intuition, it's really that they've done it before they know what the what what that's going to do um, and the effect that that ingredient that they're adding is going to have. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I put a little too much salt. Lemon is a great way to counterbalance, you know, salt. Salt and lemon are kind of opposites and cancel each other out. Um, so, uh, you know, I feel like when we wrote the cookbook, the whole goal was let's explain the the why and the how and what's really going on so that right. people feel confident to make those choices. Um, and you know, uh, that's, that's our whole goal is like, you shouldn't have to follow a recipe. Um, and there are so many choices you can make and a few that really, you know, can, can screw the pooch. Right. <laughs> Matt, would you, would you, when you, when you're writing, did you do a lot of reviews of, of places of like new ventures and stuff like that? Oh yeah. Actually, Tom, I was a, a restaurant reviewer in, in like 2009, 2010, uh, in New York. So I would go out and, and, and visit places and, and do anonymous meals. And, and certainly, um, it's part of this, this story that we write and our journey is comes from that reviewing process and having meals that were terrible, that were just not great. And mm -hmm. under, and being like, why did this not actually work? Why? Like, and so I took right. a lot of that when I was reviewing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be kind of knowing, knowing like just what what we were just talking about about intuition and being a little daring and trying something new and try, having that entrepreneurial spirit. It's like you have to take some leaps. It must be hard for you to write about somebody who took a leap and didn't make it to the other side. Well, one example, and I love Eddie Wong. Like I love him, and I reviewed his restaurant Xiaoye, and like he was cooking with sparks, I think, mm -hmm. um, and. I felt like that was just, this comes to mind that just when you take that leap and you're, he was cooking with Cheetos and Sparks. And this was like when Sparks was an actual beverage we consumed. And I, I just like stuff like that, like you encounter that and like, did it all work? No. And like, I think P. Wells gave it a, not a great review. I gave it maybe a little better review. But when you mm -hmm. say like, when you take that leap in rest yeah. in the restaurant setting and you have that boldness, like I, I just personally am drawn to that. Um, as yeah. a as a as a writer, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Daniel, when you when you are were doing it on the on the creation side of it, is there a part of you that gets hesitant and doesn't want to go completely insane? Like what or like what's your philosophy when you're exploring and, and kind of pushing? I you know I have a pretty traditional background. I've worked yeah. in some fancy French restaurants and and some classic Italian restaurants, and I and I'm drawn more towards the the classic and simple um, mm -hmm. flavor combinations and traditional flavor combinations. You know, I've never 
been a super creative that that way and um, wanting wanting to push the boundaries yeah. for me uh, i look at food as you know the first and foremost is is it delicious and right. then if it if it isn't delicious it's like there's no point in moving forward if, and and my philosophy has always been if you have to explain to somebody why it's delicious it ain't delicious <laughs> right exactly you're talking them into it i feel that when i'm like even just cooking for my family it's like if you if you have to ask you're in trouble and it's like if you just see the their plates are all cleaned after they plowed through the meal that's the only thing you really need to know kids and grandmas you know kids and grandmas you 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 tell a little kid to taste something and they just look you right in the face and tell you it's disgusting (laughs) and you know a grandma at a certain age you realize like I'm too old for this, you know, anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to eat it. I don't need to be nice. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, let me ask you some questions, and it's a good uh, segue into some of the meat of your book because it is stuff that um, I've learned and unlearned and maybe you didn't learn it at all uh, about different aspects of when I'm, of when I'm screwing around and cooking. Uh, let's start off with salt. Uh First question of salt, yay or nay to using iodized salt? So, I mean, I guess if you have an iodine deficiency, iodized salt can be a real lifesaver. And, and so I don't, I don't have an issue necessarily with it. I don't think that once you, once, you know, you can smell iodine in salt. Once it dissolves, you can't really taste it. So uh-huh. there's, no, there's no downside to it. And it works as table salt. A lot of those table salts also have weird anti-caking agents to stop them from sticking together. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, I use kosher salt. And in the cookbook, we advocate using kosher salt for, for everything. It's less expensive. The most important piece of the puzzle with salt just in general is use the, use the same type of salt all the time because mm-hmm. the pinch, a pinch of salt, the smaller the crystals, the saltier a pinch becomes, but you know, it'll be heavier by weight. It'll have more. So you'll be, you want to add a consistent amount every pinch so that you get a feel for it. That's kind of the most important piece of the puzzle. Right. And not, uh, not the coarse kosher salt. <laughs> I mean, I think just traditional either Morton's or we have a whole article in the book that talks about the difference between Morton's and diamond crystal by weight and, and volume mm-hmm. because a tablespoon of Morton's, uh, Morton, Morton, Morton's kosher salt has a, has a good, good bit more actual salt than a tablespoon of diamond crystal. So, you know, the very coarse stuff tends not to dissolve if you're seasoning a chicken that you're going to, you know, cook in the pan. So mm-hmm. it's fine for seasoning, you know, water for, for pasta, but uh, it's not ideal. No, I think just classic kosher salt is, is best. And then with the other piece of the puzzle that we, we advocate is um, using a scale and, and weighing um, your ingredients. We, we think that the number one reason that home cooked meals are either aren't, aren't great or could be better is just either under or over seasoning. And in the book, we talk about, you know, food IQ, the idea is it's 1% of the weight, uh, one to one and a half percent of the, of the, of the weight. So, you know, I got, got a, I got a whole chicken. I weigh it and, and it weighs, you know, 450 grams. Um, that's a very light chicken. Um, I put, uh, <laughs> I put four and a half. I put five grams of salt on it and it's perfectly seasoned. It's really, really easy. And then once you've got that down and you feel confident, you know, you can do it by eye, but in the restaurant, I always use gram scale and, and weight. And we never, yeah. we never just, you know, wing it. 
It was right. the smallest of game hens. It was like a tiny <laughs> yeah. game hen. Yeah, a little baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Worried about all the chemicals you're using to keep your lawn looking its best? Traditional lawn care lays down 90 million pounds of pesticides each year. Sunday is different. Sunday Lawn Care. They're on a mission to change how people care for their yards. Most of us might not think about our lawns in the winter, but it's time to prep for the year. You're probably thinking you have much work to do to get it green and healthy again, but Sunday takes all the work out of it for you. Sunday can help you grow a beautiful lawn without the guesswork or the nasty chemicals. That's nice, a nice guilt-free enjoyment of a big lush lawn. Why not? Their custom plans include fertilizer and everything you need to easily care for your lawn. And with ingredients like seaweed, iron, and molasses, you can feel good with kids and pets being around. All you have to do is visit sunday.com, put in your address, and their lawn analysis does the rest. They then use soil and climate data to create a personal nutrient plan for you and your yard. Delivered to your door when you need it. Just attach the ready-to-use pouch to a garden hose and you spray. It takes like 15 minutes. And Sunday is offering our listeners, because we're so beautiful, 20% off. Full season plans starting at $129 and you can get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com slash Bread20. That's Bread20. That's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com dot com slash bread 20 nice way finally somebody's thought about this i mean so many times all those nasty ass chemicals just to get your lawn and then it's like when do you even want to be out on it well the good people at sunday lawn care have figured it out also like to thank the good people at better help relationships take work a lot of us will drop anything to go help someone we care about we'll go out of our way to treat other people well but how often do we give ourselves the same treatment? A lot of times you walk around and you must be feeling uh, a little anxious or you just want to talk through an issue and you don't have people in your life that have the time or maybe you just don't want to open up to them in that kind of a way. Well, but the people at BetterHelp give you this resource, online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Much more affordable, much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why 2 million people, over 2 million people, have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Breaking Bread listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash papa. That's betterhelp.com slash papa. Whatever it is, when we're trying to take care of ourselves, we're trying to live our good lives, we're trying to enjoy uh, the people around us and have the good relationships, and now that we're re-emerging, going back out into the world, it's a bit of a mind trip. It's a, it's a pretty heavy thing, and it doesn't mean that you have to have like monumental problems. Sometimes you just need to talk to somebody and just check in. Is this kind of... Uh, are you feeling this? Do you feel... Should I be feeling this way? This is how I'm feeling. You make time for the gym, you make time to enjoy some comedy, you make time to enjoy some good food, make some time to take care of your mental health. That's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash 
Papa. And again, Breaking Bread listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Papa. And how do you, how do you advise um, dealing with salt snobs? Because there's a there's a there's a lot of people that are coming around and saying you should only use the the salt that came from an active volcano uh, somewhere near Pompeii or from the Nordic Flats. <laughs> is there any difference to that stuff? Does that make anything? Is it as is it as good as it is trendy? <laughs> This is an interesting, it's all salt. Like, let's get real. Like, like the volcanic, volcanic black salt that you get in Maui. Wonderful uh-huh. gift. Just the best gift to give somebody. It's, it's great. It's cheap, but it shows that you really thought of them. Mm-hmm. But is it going to season your food differently than that one tablespoon of diamond crystal kosher? No. Right. That, so, so like the, the pink salts and the Himalayan salts in terms of the, the flavor profile, not much of a difference. Now, granted, there's Malden salt, which is crunchier salt. So there are some salts that have a, a, better, a different texture. Like sure. for baking, you want a Malden salt. That's a really great, um, you know, mouthfeel and, cr- and crunch to it. Uh-huh. But really, uh, there's a lot of like kind of, you know, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, but there's some kind of like overblown um, claims about like some of these salts. <laughs> right. Well, I'm a doctor and a scientist, and I am going to back my partner up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Now, here's another question. I remember uh, back in the day, I was uh, interviewing Mario Batali, and the thing that he was saying, uh, and he would start off a lot of interviews this way, was he would say, "Go if you're, when you're getting into cooking, first thing, go into your cabinet and throw out all of your dried herbs throw away throw away all of the uh spices herbs and spices just chuck them all out they're no good and uh and just start fresh and that always seemed a little kind of like a cool thing to say but is that really that relevant like i have a lot of spices in my spice rack am i cheating myself by not refreshing those constantly i mean look (laughs) As I and every one of us have, you know, are, have a, have too many spices and old spices. We're all we're yeah. we're all guilty of this one, right. um, and it's hard to throw it away. You know, you traveled to India four years ago. You got that jar of you know of, of special cumin seeds, and then you think they're but they do have a shelf life, and fresh is absolutely better. So you know, I, I in food IQ we talk a lot about. You know, we have a question that when, when is it okay to reach for McCormick's? When is fresh, when are fresh herbs important? And when, when can I, and what ingredients can I swap out? Like, you know, oregano is a good swap and uh, uh, um, bay leaves do dry well, whereas, you know, parsley or mint, not so much at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's some spices that maybe we don't need to have in our cabinet at all. Right. Um, the, the nice thing is a lot of time, not, not, I've seen a lot of smaller portions available. And so it's great to buy a little bit at a time. You know, right. If you can, you know, better, better not to stock up. So that way you don't have to feel bad when you have to throw it on. So I don't want to agree with Mario Batali, but I ain't going to disagree because that guy is, you know, king yeah. of beers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's good. Yeah. I like the idea of small little things. Cause then I literally, I was like, I, I had some dish and I was, I need a fresh parsley, and I didn't have it. I'm like, I think I have some dry parsley in the in the cabinet. It was like tissue paper. It was just a little, green, been, little green dust. Yeah, exactly. A couple of years old, and just kind of just kind of crappy. 
maybe Daniel, maybe this one's good for you. What is a what's a cool not a cool or what do you think is like the most important thing that a home cook should have beyond like the regular stuff? Like what is a what what's something that they should uh what piece of equipment? This is actually Matt Matt's digital scale. You gotta, you can, you yeah, can talk for hours about. <laughs> I mean, it's. A, I think Daniel will have his answer too. But I, I really do agree that the digital scale costs seventeen dollars. You can buy a really cool one called a Scali from Italy for like twenty six dollars, mm-hmm. and it will change the way you cook. It'll change the way you bake because yeah. if you cook with measure spoons or cups and you're using like dry ingredients. You obviously, when you're scooping them in, there's different levels of scooping. And like a big reason those cookies that you make are really dense and you like, you're like, oh, well, thanks for making these cookies. Like, eh, and it's like, <laughs> it's like really, really dense. Well, that's because that person potentially took that cup of flour and packed it, packed right. it in. And, you know, that is not the best way to bake. So if you're using grams, it's a, there's no doubt. Right. Um, and I think with coffee too, I'll just say, uh, like we're we're pour over coffee hive over here, uh-huh. and like we are all about measuring your coffee by weight. It just makes it taste better, right? Yeah, that's funny. I started using the digital scale when I started baking, yeah, and uh, and and I use it for that all the time. And I love pour over, but I never really thought of transferring over the coffee for the weight for the for the pour over. That's stupid. I mean, <laughs> I no. <laughs> well, Matt, 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 Matt got me a coffee setup. I used to be uh, an anti-coffee snob, and now I've grown into one because he's showing me the light. <laughs> yeah. And my favorite thing was whenever I would make pour over, you know, I've got a, a it, I would, I would make a single cup pour over. I would pour the water in, and then like, you know, some percentage of the time, the water, the hot coffee would start spilling out all over my counter. <laughs> And the gram scale, if you actually measure the amount you're putting in, like that was the, you know, from the time he got me that, got me into measuring my coffee and measuring my water. I've never made that mistake again. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, good one, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, do you have a favorite coffee that you like to grind? I have two, actually. I love Intelligentsia based in Chicago, but you can get it in LA. I feel that cafe in Venice and in, uh, you know, on Silver Lake. Those are, that's great. I also love Yes, Please. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great subscription. Um, it's about 12 bucks a week. Uh, it's the best. Tom, what's your, what's your uh, preferred coffee? Um, I'm really liking Verve. Yeah. Verve coffee. So good. They're just, a couple of them are just amazing. And then I, I have one that uh, I just recently discovered. Then I was doing a show in Chicago called 10 Drops. And they're a small roaster. And... Uh, I'm happy to talk about them because it's it was like it was one of those where when you're getting to the end of the bag and you're <laughs> like oh no, oh no it's I'm not gonna have this for a couple of days it was really really nice especially their Ethiopian that was really good you know Ethiopian coffee is is one of in God's greatest foods it's truly um, and I, I got to go to Ethiopia and write a story about an Ethiopian coffee farm really and it was amazing and. Um, I feel it's, you know, a lot of times uh, in Ethiopia, coffee is picked and, and, uh, and these really small plots. I mean, it's right. not massive farms like you'll have in South and Central America. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flavor of Ethiopian coffee is, is like lemonade in some ways and has a lot yeah. of stone fruit. It's beautiful coffee. Yeah. Oh, man. Is, is it true that coffee came, that all coffee came from Ethiopia originally? 
and that that's the that's the, the origin of the tree oh of the plant it is yemen or ethiopia i believe there's some debate but i um that region is where many have said if coffee uh was born yeah wow interesting yeah, it's good being a coffee snob. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to share from it at all. <laughs> I'll embrace all of it. Okay, so here's another one. And I know this is a big part of your book, but frozen uh, vegetables. Speak to me about frozen vegetables. So, you know, Matt talked to me early on about, um, it, it really started with me trolling Matt over on Instagram about <laughs> using a can about canned beans and then it turned into a kind of a search to we we, we realized you know as a food writer as a chef we, we, we were a little snobby about certain food stuffs and so let's really explore them let's try cooking in the microwave um let's try cooking with frozen fish and frozen vegetables uh-huh. and we were really shocked you know there's been massive um uh there have been massive changes in the way that the manufacturing um and uh farming systems treat these vegetables so they're not the same vegetables you had as a kid that were mushy and gross. Yeah. There are some really great products on the shelf, um, frozen at the height of freshness. Um, right. Really, you know, quick, quick frozen in nitrogen freezer tunnels that just, you know, trap all the all the flavor. We 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 made an asparagus risotto, and the asparagus was like snappy fresh. Um, wow! I would rather use frozen asparagus in in uh, in November than stuff brought in from you know South America. Right. Uh, I think. It's and that's that's new. So that's a new yeah, thing for me. That um, is new. We try to some some of the frozen vegetables obviously freeze better than others. Um, and then and then certain things like you know French fries, uh, potato French fries, they benefit from freezing. So they, you know freezing process dehydrates, so it pulls some of the moisture out. And you get a crispier, uh, lighter French fry. Right. So there's a lot of quality involved, and I think that we should all be open to trying new trying stuff again. Right. And giving it a second chance. Right. As they improve. Oh, I didn't even think about that. You're right. I always th- went, even just seeing like, should I or should I not have frozen vegetables? You go back to when you were a child having like some shitty, <laughs> some shitty, yeah. like dr- dried out, wet vegetable <laughs> that came from the uh, Jolly Green Giant. A big piece of the cookbook, you know, for Food IQ for us was thinking about you know, how do we use these ingredients? I wouldn't necessarily, you know, put vegetables on the center of the plate with a squeeze of lemon or mm-hmm. just tossed in butter, but you know, where is it appropriate? And when, when we're not, we don't always have a farmer's market nearby right. and most Americans aren't, aren't shopping, you know, don't have the money necessarily to shop for the most expensive ingredients. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, how do we, and that's food IQ gives us the, the, hopefully the information to make the choices to say, this is what I do have. How can I make the most of it and make something delicious with, with this? Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, that is, that's, it's a big, that's a great point because there's a lot of times when we don't have anything, we're having gone out to the market and you're looking at a full pantry, a full pantry of stuff. And it's like, if we only had a little higher IQ right now, we could actually, we could make probably seven dishes out of this, and we don't. And then we just order Postmates. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys, um, do you guys feel like frozen fish is the same kind of conversation as the frozen vegetable? Because I, I kind of find frozen fish has been my friend as of late. Well, you know, frozen fish uh, is your friend. I mean, certainly uh, when you go to Whole Foods. 
and buy that fro- that fish. It's been frozen. Right. Um, you know, that's not day boat or, you know, caught off the shore. So what the, what you're paying that $26 a pound for is like the defrosting process, right? Uh-huh. They're, they're taking the time to defrost and, and serve it on a nice platter and, and give you that, that beautiful tuna. Right. Um, you can of course skip that and buy frozen fish. You just have to know which application you want with frozen mm-hmm. fish. And like, we recommend, you know, if we're using a frozen fish where, where sometimes the, the texture might be a little possibly a little bit mushier. You can't like necessarily get all that water out of there. Mm-hmm. So we suggest using, um, you know, thinking about the saucing of it. You're maybe not going to do that simple burst of lemon and capers with a piece of frozen fish, but you might want to put like, you know, do like a Korean style and use a gochujang and like do that and use more of a robust um, mm-hmm. sauce with frozen fish. Uh, and with that, you can get the benefits of, a, of, of the fish. It's a beautiful thing that it's a lean protein mm-hmm. um and you necessarily you're not necessarily having to lean into it being like a really great texture that you might be getting from that fish counter right all right very cool this is good this confirms my choice yeah, good good <laughs> which are you like a gordon's fish sticks man is that what you're trying to say <laughs> <laughs> you know what i haven't had in a long time but i would not be i would not i'm not so snobby that i wouldn't throw no. down some gordon's <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> me either me either <laughs> The, the food chain, the technologies and the have, have advanced and, you know, the cold chain technologies and these, these, these products, there's a lot of money that's gone into really making, making what you see in the supermarket. Great. Right. And that wasn't, you know, in the sixties, that was new technology. And the, right. in the in, you know, these are, these are things that are a hundred years old and think about computers. These things are evolving really quickly. Yeah. There's just great frozen fish. I mean, I take a piece of cod out of the freezer and I saute it and it's like, you would never, ever, ever do that. You would right. never get away with that. And right. it's, it works. It works. It's great. What about the vegetables though? Like the, you know, we get these perfect looking tomatoes year round i'm in la and you know they you, you have these perfect looking tomatoes but man they're not like when i was a kid getting a tomato in new jersey in the height of the summer you know like yeah, it jerseys. seems like the it seems like the flavors of the vegetables seem i don't know they just don't have am i wrong in that am i just getting my my, my mom's best friend john Heyman used to carry salt in his pocket in the summer in Jersey and Long Island, because if you ever came across a perfectly red tomato, you needed to be ready, you know, prepared to eat it like an apple. So delicious. Yeah. Um, and those tomatoes are definitely still available. I mean, the farmer's markets out here in California are extraordinary, right? They've got, and all over the country, I think there's been a return to that artisan craft of farming mm-hmm. um, and selling directly. So I do think that still exists. And no, the tomatoes that you find in the supermarket year round have been bred to look look um look beautiful and right. they've been bred to transport well they've been tr- bred to not bruise um so you know genetically modified can happen in a in the way that people kind of like put their nose up to but can also happen over time naturally um mm-hmm. and a lot of these products of the flavor has been have been have been have been we've, we've, we've put flavor behind the um, sellability of it based on the way it looks, which is a yeah, bummer. Yeah. Um, and, but the greenhouses work. I mean, the tomatoes, those tomatoes that you get from the greenhouse in the winter aren't, aren't terrible. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they're not those little like vine ripe tomatoes you get. They're not terrible. No, I'm always shocked by that. Yeah. I would never use that. I would never use it <laughs> because, you know, for me as a chef, it's like, 
celebrating the seasons and using the best of, of what's available is the fun of, of cooking. Right. Um, but it's not like you're going to kill you. Right. Yeah. So you need a bad tomato. Yeah. They're not terrible, but they just don't. It's like when you go to the islands or something and you have their fruit and you're like, why don't we have this fruit when we're home oh, yeah. in New York? And then you get back and you try and replicate it. And so it doesn't come close. I mean, Tom, when I come out to California in January, February, and even March, I'm eating citrus that we don't have on the East Coast. Like the Kara Kara oranges, the Sumo oranges, man, the yeah. Sumo mandarins. Like you guys have are on citrus game out there. So I hope that the West Coast listeners realize this. It's a real special thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, I know. It, it's, it's, I mean, this is why your book is so great because you literally were constantly searching we're constantly searching and having to relearn because things are changing all the time i could see you guys doing another volume of this in five years and i bet that there will be some changes in just the stuff we're talking about today i feel like we learned you know like the fun of this was really getting to learn as we went and we have a lot of contributors that helped us because there's a ton of subjects that you know we weren't expert in um and, and a lot of cuisines out there where we where we helped, had somebody that you know grew up cooking with food from a different country that could help us and we're learning along with the folks that are reading in a way that was so much fun to write this you know i came away with so much was there one that was a surprise to you brown butter oh, brown yeah. butter really shot you, you know I, I there's a there's a dish in italy that um uh, is really popular all over these kind of like ricotta, ricotta gnocchi with brown butter and sage. You see it everywhere in Italy. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at um, brown butter and all over the world and it's different applications and using that as a classic uh, example. Turns out brown butter didn't hit Italy until like the 90s. Uh -huh. There was no, no example of that dish anywhere. And then it just exploded across the country. So uh -huh. now it's ubiquitous. And it was such a perfect example of how um, uh, when people think about authenticity, authenticity is not just a place, but a time. So it's like a moment in time and you can be authentic to that, but trying right. to be authentic to anything else is a fleet. It's just a, it's a fleeting, uh, moment. Right. Yeah. It's amazing how you think when things are classic that they must, they've just been there since the beginning of time. It's like the baguette. It's like the baguette wasn't always, <laughs> always there. It just came out, you know, at the uh, at the end of the first world war amazing what about what about for you was there something was there something matt that you i i'd say to? you know you go to those restaurants you go to a restaurant and you have brussels sprouts and you're like man these are the best brussels sprouts i've ever had uh-huh and so i'm like to daniel why do the rest restaurant brussels sprouts taste better and so i'm assuming it's maybe a technique it's 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 something that is special oven but honestly what it is is it's oil it's half a cup of oil for one pound of Brussels sprouts or a quarter cup of oil is actually. So there's two things from this. I learned from Daniel that yes, you have to use oil to make those things taste really good. Mm -hmm. Like th there's no really like um, skimping out on the oil for, for roasting beautiful Brussels sprouts, but also when roasting vegetables, I really love the tip that Daniel gave me because I've been doing it wrong. You really can't crowd your, your vegetables when you're, you, you have to give them space. Uh -huh. Um, I think we want to like maximize oven space and smash everything into one tray, but really we have like two racks typically use them and, and roast on two trays, space it out. And it'll give you those beautiful restaurant quality mm. roasted vegetables. 
Very cool. Very cool. Well, this is great. You guys are great. This is a, an awesome book. It's called Food IQ, 100 Questions, Answers, and Recipes to Raise Your Cooking Smarts. I think we're, I think our listeners are just going to be smarter just from this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it's just these basic. I love when it's the basic things, when there's a little wrinkle in something basic, like your spices or salt or, or just frozen food. I mean, these are things that we're all facing all the time. And even when you do it, you get in a habit. But you're never really sure if you're doing it the right way. I think uh, you guys are really onto something. I think this is going to be one of those book cookbooks that you we we see published over and over again. Oh, man! I can't thank you enough for the support and the time and the time the time you took to do your research. Wait, wait! Don't tell me this is my favorite. That's incredible. Oh, what was yeah. that experience like? Oh, it's great. I uh, I started going. I started appearing on the show maybe five, six years ago, maybe, you know, yeah, we have to add two more years to everything when we're trying to figure <laughs> out years now. Uh, it's just so much fun. I mean, I think the first one I did was with Paula Poundstone mm -hmm. and she's just like the queen of that show. And just to be able to riff with these guys and Peter Segal and the whole thing, it was really awesome. I was just like, you know, cause I was the same way. I was just a fan. I just listened to it and then I got to be on it. And then when Peter, had to skip a week. I actually got to guest host it. <gasps> that that was wow. yeah, nice. That, that was really bonkers. Yeah, it was really. Super I'm, a, cool. I'm a I'm a huge fan, and I it's like my real guilty pleasure. I love listening to that. I, I laugh out loud, and I'm one of those guys that pulls up in my car and then sits there because I'm like waiting. You know, I'm like I'm like I don't want to go. And my wife catches me in the car. She gets very annoyed. She's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Finishing the episode." Yeah, I want to hear what they say. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> we're here the limerick. Yeah, it's so great. Well, thanks for being here, sincerely, and um, I, I'm sure we'll talk again. Thanks a lot, Tom. Really appreciate it. All right, guys. All right. Good luck. See you soon. Thanks, buddy. Bye. All right. That was our conversation with Daniel and Matt. Go out and get the book Food IQ, 100 Questions, Answers, and Recipes to Raise Your Cooking Smarts. You can get it wherever books are sold. Kindle is a nice way to do it. Then you have it on your iPad or your Kindle, and you just have it there in the kitchen with you all the time. It's a fun read. Recipes are also involved. Uh, very interesting. They'd actually be a good source whenever we come up with questions and we'll definitely have them back. Thank you all for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure you like and subscribe as always. Spread the word. I've been running into a lot of you out on tour. It's nice to hear that you are listening to the podcast. It's nice to know we have a great following and let's keep the conversation going. All right, everybody. Enjoy your day. See you next week.